What's up, you guys? This is Maxime from the future. Just wanted to give you the heads up that this is the first time we had the San Francisco Chronicles new beat writer Sam Gordon on the show. And of course, in the Warriors Huddle way, we had to get to know him a little bit and hear a little bit about his background. So if you're looking to dive into our analysis of the trade deadline, I recommend jumping forward about 12 minutes from the intro. With that said, we had a lot of fun getting to know Sam and hearing about his different stops and his professional journey. And we think you'll enjoy his stories too. Regardless, whether you decide to jump around or start straight from the top, thanks for listening and go Dubs. We're going to bring y'all to our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, and with me, per usual, my master of all things video and sound, Maxine. How's it going? Maxine, special episode, first time episode. I'm fired to announce. For the first time in Huddle history, a former writer for the Las Vegas Review Journal, where he covered the Raiders, the Aces, the Golden Knights in boxing, the new Golden State B-Writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, who will attend every single Warriors practice, press conference, shoot around in game, a University of Minnesota man who still appreciates three yards and a cloud of dust, and a guy whose published introduction from his boss was one of the fucking best I've ever read, Mr. Sam Gordon. What's going on, Sam? Man, how you guys doing? Uh, honor and privilege to be here. I'm doing well. How you guys doing? We're good. Um, I mean, some pressure on this episode. So anytime <laughs> there's like the first time we have someone on, pressure because I want to become your best friend in the first five minutes. So, you know, just, just allow that to happen. It'll be awkward early on, but we'll get there. And then the second other source of pressure, I meant what I said about that published introduction. Um, Maxime, to bring you into the fold here, so when the Chronicle hired Sam, they published an article announcing the hire, and they pulled this quote from Christina Carl, who's the sports editor, and I would imagine because of that, Sam's direct boss, quote, Sam brings us both true sports reporters' passion for the grind and the journalistic skill you can't teach. He has the innate curiosity that separates the great reporters on a beat. Finding someone ready to report, dig, and share the stories about the Warriors our readers want was our goal but also finding someone ready to compete with national reporters on a team such as Golden State with global renown was better still. Sam is simply a tremendous addition to the team Oof. at the Sporting Green. Maxine, I, I mean, take it out of the public context, right? Like, it's not an article. I don't think anyone's ever said shit like that about me just generally speaking over the last four decades of my life, man. So uh, the pressure is on today, man. Welcome well aboard. Well, I appreciate you. And you know what they say, right? Pressure makes diamonds. So uh, let's make some diamonds. <laughs> let's go. All right. So we are just on the other side of the trade deadline. We're also on the other side of an incredibly encouraging 4 and one Warriors road trip. So we got a whole lot of Warriors stuff to talk about. But before we get there, like I said, man, this is your first time in here. So we got to at least explore a little bit about you. I got that you didn't just go to University of Minnesota. You grew up in Minnesota. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. Born and raised uh, in the Minneapolis area. Um, grew up, uh, you know, watching Kevin Garnett and, and the Minnesota Timberwolves. That was my introduction to the NBA, to basketball. You know, my dad, big basketball fan. He grew up in Cleveland and uh, was a program. He handed out programs uh, at Cleveland Arena uh, when I think it was in junior high. So every other Thursday or Tuesday, the Cincinnati Royals would play a game at Cleveland Arena. So I grew up hearing about Oscar Robertson, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill sure. Russell, you know, all, all the greats. Uh, Elgin Baylor, so on and so forth, all the greats from that era. So 
been a lifelong um, NBA enthusiast, basketball fan, sports fan in general. I love all the sports. Um, you know, love growing up in Minneapolis. It was a great market where we had a little bit of everything. And uh, University of Minnesota, of course, being in the Big Ten gave me, you know, great exposure as a student journalist to, you know, Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball, Big Ten hockey, so on and so forth, all the great programs that they have. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, fast forward, you know, X amount of years, and here we are now. So, uh, yep, proud Minneapolis native, but loving the Bay so far. We're going to go forward and explore whether or not this is a dream job, but look back with me a moment. So I heard you say, Kevin Garnett, um, am I right in assuming that while you're growing up, you were a Minnesota Wolves fan? I mean, that was your team for a while. Yeah, you could definitely say that. That's definitely fair to assume. Um, you know, uh, the 2003-2004 season, obviously the last time the Timberwolves won a playoff series, um, have vivid memories of what that meant for Minneapolis, what that meant for the Twin Cities. Kevin Garnett, it was his MVP season. You saw billboards. It was like a Minnesota license plate, KG for MVP. So they were really cool. The city got behind them. It's a great basketball town, even being away um, in Las Vegas. It was awesome to follow all the great high school players uh, and, and college players and, and eventually NBA players. Now we have quite the NBA pipeline coming out of the Twin Cities. So that's really cool to see. And, of course, the Timberwolves are having a, a very resurgent season uh, resurgent with Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, so on and so forth. So uh, it's been a long time since basketball has mattered in Minneapolis the way it does right now. I know I'm not there, but you can feel it from afar. So yeah, you're very you're you're correct in assuming that, and you know obviously follow the Timberwolves closely, but a, ge a general fan of the NBA as a whole as well. Ah, of course, I mean so Minnesota is a special connection with the Warriors, right? Um, I mean now they've they've are probably zooming past us, but in the past, I mean. Steph, I mean, Wiggins, JK, they got all these connections. And so for you, complicated relationship with Steph? For, for those who remember, Minnesota don't remember, Minnesota passed twice on Steph, the Johnny Flynn, Ricky Rubio draft. Um, and I'm the type of sick fuck, Sam, where if that <laughs> happened, you know, like for the Warriors did that forever. Uh, my fandom goes back far enough to tell you that, you know, they were terrible through most of my life. This, this success is like a fever dream. And for me, when the Warriors passed on people like Kobe Bryant, for example, it was always like a weird thing, dude. I never got over it. I, I respected how good he was, but it's also hard because they fucking passed on him. So for you, complicated relationship with Steph, is there any of that for you guys? No, no, no. I left that at the, I left that at the, uh, I left that in Minneapolis. I left that back in my house when I enrolled at the University of Minnesota. I knew that I wanted to be a full-time journalist. So, you know, you, you can always look back and say, what if? I, the Timberwolves fans have been doing that forever, but... They're in, finally in a good place now with with Anthony Edwards, the face of the franchise, and obviously it all worked out, uh, you know, swimmingly for Golden State and the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> all right, transition Vegas. Um, so dream job, man. Did you grow up wanting to be a sports author, and you are now doing what you always wanted to do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of, you know, as soon as I realized I wasn't going to play in the NFL or the NBA or, or do anything like that, and that was relatively early on. P figured I'd pivot. What can I do to be around sports? What can I do to be around people? Um, I always liked writing and storytelling and, and that, that those kind of things. So it felt like, you know, a, a great marriage of a couple of, of hobbies and passions that I had, you know, sports journalism. And uh, again, very fortunate to go to the University of Minnesota. We had a great journalism school, the Minnesota Daily, an excellent student newspaper that was very much a, a proving ground and a developmental ground for me and you know some of my great friends, Jace Frederick, who covers the Timberwolves now for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, Dane Mizzitani covers the Vikings, St. Paul Pioneer Press, so on and so forth. Um, great student newspaper that that's sent a, a lot of journalists, a lot of places, and I uh, was very fortunate to, to have an opportunity to go to Vegas for, for seven years. Um, that was a dream in and of itself. I, I never thought I would end up there, and you know, spending seven years there, no less. Uh, but but such an incredible experience, um, being there, being able to to 
cover the city's emergence really as a pro sports town with the Raiders landing, the the, the Las Vegas Aces, the Golden Knights. It's a championship town now. Uh, not not maybe not quite title town USA, uh, but it is a title town nonetheless. And uh, that was an incredibly fulfilling experience, getting to cover so many of the the biggest prize fights uh, in the world on a regular basis. Covered boxing there. Uh, as well so yeah I'm, I'm i'm living the dream and now covering the nba um the nba has been my favorite you know league to follow uh since before i could talk so this is definitely you know to your point to your question uh being here now covering the golden state warriors working for the san francisco chronicle um dream come true everything every step of my journey has been but this is especially um gratifying and fulfilling now that i'm at this point in my career the vegas experience <laughs> triggers both resentment and jealousy for me i'll explain the resentment i'm born and raised in oakland um and so i want you know i'm watching the raiders leave me and then we're in the process of watching the a's uh bounce and i like i want to pretend like the raiders didn't land well and that like their stadium sucks ass meanwhile that's obviously not true and i'm just i mean just bitter about that entire experience but the thing i was really jealous of one of my sports bucket list things is i really want to go to a big fight in vegas at some point you know, I want to go to like the World Cup. I want to see a, a Super Bowl at some point in my life. A title fight in Vegas is like towards kind of the top of that. The the vibe in there, I would imagine, is unlike anything else. Um, so yeah, that's what an awesome fucking job description, man. Second to none, right? Fight night in Vegas. You, you get, I think, you get a handful of really big ones a year, right? And because of the you know the novelty of a of a massive title fight. Uh, the, the energy is just different. It's an event. It's not necessarily a game. It's an event, and it feels that way. And then, of course, you know, the nature of the sport itself, right? Obviously, it's it's violent. There's a, an element of brutality involved. And at the same token, this is what we as human beings at a certain level have been doing for uh, thousands and thousands of years, right? In, in yeah. so many ways, it's the purest form of competition, and you definitely feel that in the arena. So I definitely recommend it, you getting down to Vegas and getting to, getting to fight night if you have the chance. It was the greatest thrill that I had you know, working in Vegas. It was my favorite thing to cover uh, while I was in Vegas was boxing. So really special experience um, there for and, and very fortunate to be able to attend you know, so many title fights and cover and uh, interact with so many great fighters, trainers, managers, promoters, so on and so forth. Love that answer. Um, and it's actually the perfect transition for this. So I mean, you'll recognize as we go forward today, I stalked you in preparation um i was already jealous of the picture of you and Shaq on your twitter page and the uh the banner that's on there but one of the things that stuck out is that you like board games um and i want to have you drag me through which board games you like but the questions i had for you is what's your competitive style and i think i got a sense now with you saying like you know look them fighting is one of the uh, purest forms of competition but i will go first to be transparent I will play board games, but I ruin them for everyone I'm playing with. I'm <laughs> way too competitive. I'm that guy who's like, nope, there is that one rule that you guys forgot about. And that's both. And like now no one's talking anymore. We're not having fun anymore. We're just going through this like really tense competitive experience that I've ruined. When you play board games, is it about enjoying it or is it about winning it? It's definitely about winning first, but I, 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 I try not to let my desire to win dilute from the fact that this is supposed to be fun. Um, I, I can. I've taken my fair share of L's in in on the chess set for on the chessboard, for instance, and in life. So I've I'm adept at handling losing. I don't like it, but in order to get better at winning, you have to learn how to handle losing. So I've I've taken my fair share of L's from very good chess players from in Monopoly, you know, so on and so forth. You can name it. Um, but I'm able to have fun a, a, along the way and and still keep the competitive edge of spirit. Maxime is going to tell us he's like that too. We're going to turn this to him in, in a second. I can tell you the kind of sick fuck I am. 
I, I, my kid who is eight years old had friends over and we played this board game together. And I literally had to stop myself from getting the rule book and be like, no, you guys are not playing this right. I'm the one who should have gotten this thing. And I didn't, I didn't, but I was close. Uh, Maxime, you strike me as a, let's just have fun guy. Like you won't ruin it at all. You're fine. You know, it's just kind of laughing your way through it. I'm, I'm a man of two worlds because I want everybody to have a good time, but I'm going to have a way better time if I'm winning. Period. So it's a struggle for me. And and I'm the type of person where I'll realize at a certain point in the game, oh shit, I'm not going to win anymore. And and then I really, I sort of turn inward and, and things get a little bit uncomfortable. But it's not it's not an outward projection. You know, I'm just no longer having a good time. So I'm just no fun. Just generally speaking <laughs> with that in mind, let's talk some Warriors boys. All right. Sam, why don't we jump into the glass half? This is a segment we do almost every week, and it's pretty simple. You look back on recent Warriors basketball, give you something you like or don't like. It's been a little bit more challenging this year, but today that might be different. The Warriors are on the other side of a 4 and one trip here. So I'll see the floor to you, man. What sticks out from that road trip? Oh, geez. Um, well, there's, I mean, where do we, where do we want to get started? I, I think this is, right, you know, I followed, again, followed the NBA very closely, followed the Warriors season before I got the job and not since the beginning of the year had they played as well as they did on this trip, right? Both ends of the floor. Um, you, you got a couple blowout victories in there, back-to-back blowouts. There haven't been many of those this season. And I think finally uh, with, with Steve Kerr settling on a starting lineup this and, and Draymond Green coming back and getting comfortable, this team is finally starting to develop an identity. They're a smaller team. Uh, they they want to, uh, you know, they're playing faster again. The ball is pinging around, and you're seeing defined roles uh, start to emerge, right? Steph Curry is still Steph Curry. We saw that in Atlanta. We saw that last night, capable on any given night of, of scoring 60, even at this stage of his career. Um, but the emergence of Jonathan Kaminga now, where he's clearly the number two uh, offensive outlet. You know, that was Clay Thompson for so many years. Obviously, Kevin Durant shared a lot of that burden when he was here as well. But, but Jonathan Kaminga's emergence – has really unlocked what the Warriors want to do. And I think, you know, central to that is, is Draymond Green being another connector, uh, somebody else that can facilitate both on the offensive end of the floor, the defensive end of the floor, just opening things up uh, for Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga on the wings. And, and without, you know, with, with Draymond really being the only quote-unquote non, non-shooter out there now, I mean, Kaminga's not exactly a marksman, but he'll knock one down every now and then. Yeah. There's more space on the floor for Kaminga to get to the rim and for him to, to, to finish. And you see the way he's punishing the paint. He's not settling for jump shots. And uh, with, the, with the, the extra runway, with the space on the floor that he has, um, he's able to, to score very efficiently, obviously. And then, you know, the second unit is developing a little bit of an identity as well. You see young players, Gui Santos, Lester Quiones, uh, find their groove and find ways to contribute uh, on both sides of the basketball. So, uh, I think the Warriors, since Draymond Green, you know, came back, uh, now are one of the top five teams in the league per net rating. Uh, they've been, they've been one of the top three or four defensive teams in the league. Their offense, I mean, they've always been able to score. So it just feels like everything is starting to gel. And, and again, so central to this, the small ball lineup, Draymond Green, what he's able to do uh, defensively, uh, the way he's able to open things up on the offensive end of the floor. There's really only a, a handful of centers in the league that are, are going to be able to exploit that that mismatch. Um, right. In terms of the size, um, so the small ball thing is working. The commitment to, the, to Draymond as a full time center has been really, really effective. And uh, as you mentioned on the trip, I mean, the one loss, I, I mean, the Warriors had the last shot in regulation, so very easily could be looking at a six game winning streak. Instead, they've won five of their last six. And uh, and again, the, the advanced numbers bear out what we're seeing. That this is a team that's able to get clean looks, 
Um, they're able to defend at, at, a, at an efficient level, and uh, and they're playing with a lot of pace. And, and pace is something that, of course, the Warriors are, are accustomed to playing at since Steve Kerr got here, and, and they're able to kind of marry all those things together, in, in, like you said, in what was a really successful road trip. Well said. Um, not a lot to add. I'll go from small to big, small, single play. And it kind of reinforces what you were just saying about JK. There was a moment last night in that indie game where Draymond got called for a ticky-tack bullshit foul. And he was about to go scream at the refs. He already kind of had a couple of steps of momentum and his voice was already up. And Kaminga, without spending one second thinking about it, ran over and hugged him. And he also said something, but you couldn't hear what he said. And Draymond calmed down immediately. And what that showed, not only about their relationship, but where J.K. feels he is with this team now, his role that he was comfortable enough to go to one of the, you know, the, the defined three leaders and say, no, you know, we need you. He was the voice of reason on a guy who's known for basketball IQ. I loved that. I just fucking loved it. And then macro, it's, it's not just that the Warriors played well. Thank God they did. This four and one is exactly what we needed. It's when they played well. Because of the trade deadline, right now, everyone was questioning the makeup of the team. You know, this is the moment when, like, all right, if this isn't working, you know, we, this is when we've got to turn it all over. And the players only control in that because they don't make the decisions. They're not Mike D. The, the only control they had was this road trip. You know, show, oh, okay, let's see what we got. And they went four and one, which, uh, which I just loved, man. Um, so, you know, optimism is back again. Maxine, do we miss anything here? I'll just maybe put a bow on a couple of things. Obviously, we got to celebrate Steph Curry. The moments where you see the six, uh, three go in in the first quarter, I feel like Fitz almost broke his microphone. He was screaming so hard. And, you know, sometimes I think uh, even on this podcast and in the Warriors fandom in general, we can get a little bit annoyed with his homerism. But, like, that's exactly what you want in that moment. So that felt really good. And then to move into to an analytics perspective, uh, Kirk Goldsberry always has really amazing uh, little statistics. And so I just pulled this one up because I saw it. Um, in the last 10 games, which is basically the time that we've had Draymond back on the team, uh, we're playing pretty damn well, right? Overall, it just if you look at the last 10 games, we're um, net third best in the league, fourth on offense, seventh on defense. That is a very positive trajectory for the team. So to Sam's point, Draymond coming back seems to have unlocked the Wiggins-Kaminga um, pairing on this court at the same time. It seems like it unlocks a lot of the offense, uh, and it just might be the case that Steve Kerr was in fact right that uh, making no move of the tread deadline was the best thing that we could do. There aren't a lot of superlatives I haven't already said into this microphone about Steph Curry. You know, we've had the pleasure of talking about him for over a decade now. Um, and so I'll put it this way. There, we almost played this quote a couple of weeks back. Uh, Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker, had some take about, you know, what we uh, show in public, we practice in person kind of deal. And to do it, he broke down how many shots Steph Curry has taken over his career. And it was well over a million, whatever it was. Steph shoots 500 shots a day, 3,500 shots a week, 14,000 shots a month, 168,000 shots a year. These are practice shots. So he's been in the NBA 15 years. He's done 2.52 million shots in practice. And his entire career has only taken 15,000 shots. And he's made 3,000 three-pointers, and he's the greatest in history. Less than one-tenth of one percent of his shots have actually shown up at a game. So I always tell people, you're rewarded in public for what you practice in private. The compliment I'll give here, after watching this dude play for whatever it's been now, 14 years, and taking a million shots, he can still do shit that shocks me. 
that that uh, that three pointer he pulled up on while being double teamed forty feet away from the cup. I've never seen anybody do that. I've, I've never seen anybody do that in four plus decades. And so, man, it, what a pleasure it is just to have him in our sports lives. Well, well you know, regarding Steph Curry, right? I, I think one of the things that was interesting, and I was looking at, at this this morning, right? This is, I mean, offense is exploding in the NBA. We see that. We see these crazy scoring outputs. And a lot of that has to do with the way the game is is officiated, right? So many cheap fouls. The offensive player pretty much has the advantage every time he has the ball. It is so hard to play defense in the modern era, to play man-to-man defense in the modern era without fouling. And, and the best players in the league, right, the Joel Embiid's, the Luka Doncic's, Shea Gildas-Alexander, we see these guys. James Harden was obviously one of the, the, the early kind of innovators of figuring out how to, you know, how to take advantage of the way the game is officiated. And Steph Curry is, I, I believe, seventh in scoring, and he's not in the top 20 in free throw attempts per game. I don't even know if he's in the top 25. So there is still very much a, a purity about the way he scores the ball. Mm. And that's that takes to take nothing away from the other great scorers in the NBA. Those guys are simply taking advantage of the way that the game is officiated and the way that the rules um, have, have been written at, at this point in time in the NBA. But but Steph Curry, you know, foul, foul calls or not, like he can still get 60. And that 60 he scored at Atlanta, I saw – I can't remember who tweet. somebody sent me a tweet, so I don't want to take credit for this take, but it felt like a real 60, right? Yeah. It felt like a real yeah. 60. It didn't feel like a watered-down 60. It didn't – there wasn't – you know, it wasn't Matador defense, him just going to the basket or him uh, duping his way to the free throw line 25 times. It, it was a pure skill in uh, a, a 100% display of that, even at this stage of his career. And then, he, you know, again, he does the exact same thing uh, last night in Indiana too, not 60, but still the same, the same, the same kind of production, the same kind of wowing, mesmerizing plays. And you know, he had the crowd at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in the palm of his hand. It was a, it was a tantalizing performance. And and uh, you know, coming out of that road trip, you you felt in the locker room just the vibes. The vibes are immaculate at this point in time. I think you saw, you know, the the Instagram video on the plane, Clay Thompson, the, the team wishing him a happy birthday. Like that's a team that's feeling good about itself right now, and rightfully so with the, the brand of basketball it's been playing. So. To your point, uh, I mean, maybe Steph Curry, you know, he, he'll have a, a clunker now and then that maybe he didn't have three or four years ago. We saw that in Philadelphia. He's going to be 36 after all. But for the most part, he's still absolutely at his apex and, and still one of the very best handful of players in the NBA. Sam, careful. That take almost triggered a full-blown bitch session about the NBA officiating. You have no idea how hard I take fucking Steph Curry's lack of fouls. Instead, I'll just do this. And I, I haven't done the analytical research on this necessary to tell you if it's for sure true. But I'm fairly certain that this pen averages more free throw attempts than Steph Curry does in an average game. So it, you it know. It probably does. I, oh, fuck yes, it does. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to get sucked down that rabbit hole. Instead... I'm going to push us to the main section of today. I'm going to call it 2020 hindsight, right? So we are on the other side of the trade deadline, a, uh, a date we've been looking forward to for weeks here. And after hand-wringing forever, there was no addition. I mean, you know, addition by subtraction, I guess. Kojo is out. So the Warriors stood pat. Now, the normal question that, that would be asked here is grade them or who won the trade deadline, that kind of stuff. But I don't want to do that yet. All right. Instead, before we get to that, I'm going to go through a few of the trades that were made around the NBA. Some guys I kind of had some interest in, give you some possible trades maybe the Warriors could have made. And then after we go through those, I'll ask, what do you think, dude? You know, should they have made any of these moves? What do you put the grade? So here is our first, the player, Kelly Olinick, um, in a very weird move. 
I, I, I don't know if Toronto is trying to get better or trying to, I don't understand what Toronto's doing. Um, but this is not the Raptors huddle, so it doesn't matter. The Toronto Raptors acquired Kelly Olynyk and Agbaji. Go, and then Utah gets back Otto Porter Jr., Kira Lewis, and a 2024 first round pick. So I looked at Olynyk. Olynyk's making about 12 million a year. So who knows if the Jazz would be interested? But let's say they would be. The Warriors could have given up GP2, Moody, and a first rounder brought back Kelly Olynyk. We need size. Sam, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea. Uh, I would have passed on that deal. Uh, like K Kelly Olenek, fine player. Not sure he's out there at the end of a game for you, and you don't want to part ways with a first-round pick unless you're getting a, a guy that's absolutely, in my opinion, you know is going to be in your crunch time lineup. I, I don't think he necessarily would have been. Again, very good player. You, you leave the first-round pick out of that deal, maybe, it, maybe it's a different discussion. Yep. But with the way first-round picks are valued these days, he, I don't think he, he, he merits a, a first-round pick on his own. I'm with you on that. I mean, keep your powder dry. If the idea that it seems like they kind of decided we're not making a big move. I mean, not kind of. That's exactly what they decided. They didn't want to yeah. give up the Wiggins and the CP3 thing. And so keeping that powder dry, maybe they make a big move in this offseason. And if you do want to do that, you're going to need first round picks. And so you, you probably don't want to go all in on Kelly Olenek. Uh, Maxime, take this next one first. Daniel Gafford. All right. So the Mavericks ultimately land Gafford. Um, and they give up Rashawn Holmes and draft compensation. So Gafford, also a center, you know, we're focusing on size here. Gafford makes about $12 million a year. So I could give you that same thing I just offered. Moody, uh, GP2, and this time a second rounder, or kind of a poo-poo platter. Uh, Moody, Garuba, Sarek, TJD, Guy Santos, and uh, PBJ's, or PBJ's trade exemption. Um, any interest in Daniel Gafford? Uh, I mean, there is a little bit of interest. I think we've seen Kavon Looney take a step back this year and um, he could fill in some backup minutes there that I think could be really nice. Um, but again, backup minutes. I don't think that he really moves the needle in a substantial way. And so I'm not actually making that move. What do you think, Sam? Um, um, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. And plus, you know, the young guys have some intrigue there, right? Moody, Santos. Uh, that platter that you just named, there, there's definitely enough there that, that, that's worth, I think, developing and worth um, digging into a little bit deeper. I think we kind of know what, what Gafford is. Um, like, like Maxine said, a, a backup big that can, you know, spot starter that can give you some production on, uh, around the basket that can rebound a little bit. But where is he really taking you? Is, like you said, is he a needle mover? Are you comfortable putting him out there on against Nikola Jokic in a playoff series? I don't think no. so. So no. I just stand pat and, and pass on that one. He's not a big upgrade over Loon in any way. You know, I mean, it's kind of a similar deal. And then Loon already has all the all the history with us in addition to very similar stats. Um, and I also, GP2, I think, is going to play a big role as this season goes forward. You know, and so giving up on him for kind of a lateral move on someone like Gafford, nah, I'm out. So that leaves kind of the biggest one. Um, the Knicks, I think everyone will tell you on the trade deadline. And it's no because amongst other people who they landed was Bogdanovich, right? Who is a shooter and a contributor kind of across the board. The kind of dude the Warriors could use he, he is both size and shooting. And so the trade that they, um, well, it doesn't matter what the Knicks did. What I can tell you is that Bogdanovich makes about $20 million a year. And Alex Burks was also traded from Detroit over to New York. 
So the trade that I've you know put together here, the fake move that Mike Dunleavy could have offered, is Wiggins and Moody for Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. What do you think? That one's interesting. Um, that 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 one's definitely interesting. Uh, that being said, um, I still don't think I would have done it. I, I yep. still don't think I would have done it. Right, and I know Wiggins has, has struggled this year. I, I totally understand that. Um, there's two things, right? Would Detroit have wanted to take on Wiggins' money long term? I'm right. not necessarily sure they would have. Um, even though Moody would, would would have certainly been an intriguing piece and would have fit their timeline and kind of their rebuild. Um, but Bogdanovich is is going to be 35 come playoff time, and this is already a veteran team. And we've seen Andrew Wiggins these last couple games, these last few weeks, and I think the way the Warriors obviously played the last you know two weeks or so informed their perspective on the trade deadline and, and played a big role in them standing pat. I think that's pretty clear, right? And, yep. and part of that was Andrew Wiggins having a little bit of a resurgence. Uh, we saw the 21-10 and 10 in Detroit, but even before that, uh, before exiting that game against Atlanta, like the previous four or five games, he was averaging like 17 and shooting around 65% from the floor. Again, Draymond Green has helped unlock him. Now, is he going to be that guy the remainder of the season? We don't know. He hasn't been that guy he wasn't that guy for the first few months of the season. He's only right. been that guy for a couple weeks now. But there's a pedigree with Andrew Wiggins. We've seen Andrew Wiggins perform on a big stage, uh, be the second-best player in an NBA Finals, uh, be a major contributor throughout the course of a playoff run. And that you know he's only going to be 29. You know later this month, still uh, profiles as a plus defender. There's still an element of chemistry that he has with this lineup. And if you can tap into the upside and get even 80% of what we saw during that playoff run, or 85%. That's still a, a really good player that can affect this team and help this team win. So uh, as much as I like Bogey, and he's definitely a winning player, and I think New York is an excellent fit for him, especially with OGN and Obi dealing with an injury now with, with, with his elbow and missing some time. Um, he, he's a seamless fit in their rotation. I think he would have fit well in Golden State, but, but Wiggins profiles is the better defender. There's still enough offense. You don't necessarily need his shooting uh, here in Golden State. So uh, as intriguing of an offer as that, as that was, I would have passed on that one too and, and just kind of stood pat. Dude, what a fucking difference a Draymond makes, right? Yeah, if, if before, if if this trade had been offered before Draymond came back, everybody says yes. You say yes right. in a fucking heartbeat. If they had offered my pen, you know, who shoots all those free throws before for Wiggins, I think the Warriors would have thought long and hard and the contract would have been difficult to figure out. But like, I think they would have been fucking interested. But now that we're looking at maybe, it, it's almost like, I almost don't want to say it out loud because I don't want to like scare it off, but maybe the return of two-way wigs, then no, you, you've you got to foster that because you know who wouldn't have been the second best player in the 22 finals? Bogdanovich. <laughs> you know, like that's that's not his upside. He's a good player, you know, yep. and I understand what he adds, but we've seen, just like you just said, we've seen the upside that Wiggins can occupy. And for as long as that's a possibility, man, I want to explore it, but here's the question I've been most worried about asking. I almost didn't want to ask it. Your history in Minnesota means you also have history with Minnesota Wiggins. And for us, dude, like, that's a very scary idea. You know, sure. it's like the fucking boogeyman, Minnesota Wiggins. He might be out there and, and enter our life at any moment. So you see this, this big uptick with Draymond coming back. It, what's your assumption? You know, having spent time with him in Minnesota when he would go up and down occasionally and then having watched him now in Golden State where it seems like it corresponds with Draymond being here. Should we be taking this with a grain of salt? You know, like maybe this isn't here to stay or do you feel pretty optimistic about Wiggins' turnaround? I mean, I definitely feel like 
elements of this are sustainable, right? I mean, he's going to have – I think he, there's going to be nights where he's not featured offensively, where the ball doesn't come his way. But from a defensive perspective, uh, he, I think, again, he, he's still more than capable of matching up with top wings and, and, and bringing something to the table on that end. And that is where the Warriors have struggled throughout the course of the season. So um, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that they're going to be able to tap into more of 2021-2022 uh, Wiggins the, the remainder of the season. I do think there's a real sense of urgency here. I think the group finally um, feels like they're building something and he's crucial to that. And, and, you know, Clay Thompson just the other night, you know, made clear in order for us to go where we need to go. And I'm, I'm essentially paraphrasing, we need Wiggins to be a part of that. And, and he's responded. I mean, he's, he has definitely responded the last couple of weeks. So it's still definitely a kind of a wait and see thing. Um, he's going to have to show this, I think longer for longer than, than two or three weeks, but Again, we know that there, there's capabilities there. We know that there's pedigree, and uh, and and based on you know the raw numbers, um, the, the wins and losses, the analytics and whatnot, uh, the, the lineup with the, the the starting lineup that they have with Wiggins a part of it is profiling to be pretty good right now, and it's worth riding that wave in my opinion and seeing how far you can get. You can always revisit trades with Wiggins in the off season, and like right. you said, if you ha- if you have to attach some draft capital at that point then go for it. It's a, it's a tradable contract. It can be fit in with other contracts. And if you want to go white whale hunting later down the road. Um, but I don't think at this point in time, especially with how well the group has played the last few weeks, I don't think they necessarily needed to move him. There's going to be other opportunities to do that if need be. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I love that. Uh, it's like a lottery ticket and you know, they've started to read the numbers and they've actually read like three off that match, you know, like it's like, it's starting to look optimistic. Like maybe this will happen. Um, all right, boys, great it. Maxine, why don't you start it first? What grade do you give the Warriors at the trade deadline? If we're if we're if we're grading on a curve, I honestly I give them an A. I think looking at the trade landscape, grading on a curve, meaning what did everybody else do? You know, like I think everybody could get a fifty percent on the test, but if everybody got a fifty percent, then you might as well give them all A's. And this is the same point here. Given what we saw of what was possible out there, the moves that were made early, right? Like the OGN and OB trade happening earlier on in the season. I mean, the Harden trade, that was still the season two. People didn't wait until the trade deadline. So by the time we got there, there wasn't much room left for us to do anything that substantially moves the needle. Especially also if Wiggins was the piece that we were considering um, being the most movable on this team. It makes a lot of sense actually to wait to the end of the season if he's coming back the way it yep. seems like he is. He's on, like his trade value since he came to the Warriors has not been any lower than it was three yep. days ago. So why yep. would you ever trade that? Dude was the second best player on a championship team two years ago. There's hope that he can at least be better than that and bring back some more value than he gave us, uh, than he would have given us now. So uh, on a curve and A, if I'm, if I'm grading in a vacuum and just saying, ooh, like, this team has not been great recently. It would it sure would have been nice to end up with something, the dream scenario that nobody thought of that has all, you know, the Zach Lowe's of the world saying, nah, nobody told me that was going to go down, but all of a sudden there's a seismic trade, the Warriors land this great piece. You know, uh, that would make me feel better than I feel right now. So then I'm giving it a C. But like I said, given the landscape of what we understand, A-. minus. I want to give you a cop-out answer, the incomplete. We've got to see what happens, right? But that's bullshit. I'll give you a real one. Um, I'll, I'll say a good B+. Plus. This had all the elements that could have led to a panic move. Um, you know, the, the Warriors are in a weird place. Mike D is a first-year GM. There was a lot of trades flying off early in the, in the day. And so that they looked around and had the confidence and composure to not panic trade. 
to kind of sit back and hold these first rounders and uh, to overuse the phrase, keep their powder dry for an offseason where they'll probably will make some moves. Uh, you know, so it's not an A, but I'm not going to put them at like a C or something. It was better there. So, you know, a solid B, virgin on a B plus. Sam? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Bram. I'm with you. I, I, if there was a big move to be made, I think the Warriors would have made it. What, what needle-moving move was out there, right? I, I just don't think there was. And, again, you got to go back to Jonathan Kaminga's emergence. Like, exactly. that has been so yep. key. He, Mike Dunleavy came out and said in a, in a conference call – um, with media yesterday, like he's as untouchable, and as he should be, he's the kind of player you know. Twenty one, going to be uh, still only twenty one. You see exponentially the development happening in real time. Yes, it's not just the scoring; it's the way he's reading the floor. It's the way he's okay. The drive's not there. Let me kick and relocate. He, he's doing those things now that he maybe wasn't doing before. The ball is moving. There's a flow, and and, and again, defensively, he's getting better on that end too. You, there's going to be a curve with younger players. Right, Not everybody comes in the league at 18 yep. and is going to be a world beater. That's not how it works. You see him now developing. The light bulb has, has gone off. And uh, and as a result, uh, you, you just don't want to part ways with, with Jonathan Kaminga. That's totally understandable. I, I do think if there was a, a needle-moving move to be made, the Warriors would have made it. Right, They understand that Steph Curry's prime isn't going to last forever and how precious each one of these seasons are. Um, but overall, you know, the group's been playing well. Chris Paul is coming back. Their best lineups before he got hurt. Uh, all featured him, and yep. he's – what is he? He's laden with playoff experience. Uh, he, he brings another element to the second unit. They're, they're obviously optimistic about what he's going to bring. Like you said, GP2 coming back too gives him another perimeter defender. They like what they have in the young players. Brandon Pajemski, he's been fantastic. Guy Santos, Lester Chiones, all these young players emerging. Now the task is going to be on Steve Kerr to figure out how to how to delegate the minutes when they are fully healthy, but that's a that's a pretty good problem to have, all things considered, compared to where they were, you know, a month ago. So um, yes. I, I I I understand the approach. I also under, understand fans that wanted the Warriors to make a, a splash move, but what splash moves were out there um, it, without parting ways with with Kaminga? And I again, I just he's the youthful piece that as he emerges and as Curry continues to age he can continue to take on a bigger role and they complement one another. And that's how you, that, that might be how you extend this window or keep it open a little bit longer. Dude, let's, let's say the name that we're all saying without saying it. Siakam. I mean, right. If, if there was any move they would have done, it would have been Siakam. That was the right. big person who they were out there. And it's because exactly what you just said It's JK's emergence. And, I don't want to give, I'm not giving up. So I, after Siakam demands that max contract, he's getting ready to demand. I don't know if I'd want to trade straight up JK and for Siakam, you know, just because of the, the roster limitations. So no, it's, they, I'm glad I'm, they didn't. I'm 100% with you. And Siakam is going to be 30 in April. He has a lot of, I mean, he's played a lot of minutes. He was a big minutes guy. Nick nurse plays his guys a lot of minutes. He was a big minutes guy in Toronto. He's had some injuries. He's a guy that that's game. Isn't reliant on athleticism per se, but that's part of his game. And as you mentioned, he's going to get max money yeah. from the Pacers. And and look, I know Tyrese Halliburton's been hurt and, and hasn't, you know, they haven't been fully healthy. And of course things are going to take time to gel, but has he been a big needle mover in Indiana so far? Like, no, no. Yeah. Now would, would that have been different here? Maybe, but again, the upside you're seeing from Jonathan Kaminga, what 20 plus points, nine of the last 12 games, you see the efficiency, you see the power, uh, he's given you pretty much everything I think Pascal Siakam would be giving you. And I think, you know, he's 21 and is making way less money and, and has obviously another gear, so much more growth to tap into. So 
Uh, I, I understand why they bypassed on Siakam. He's a very good player, but they didn't they didn't need him at this point in time. I, he wasn't going to turn him from a from where they're at now into, into the favorites right. in the West. That wasn't going to no, happen. That's exactly right. Uh, sign number eight billion of JK's development. My butthole no longer puckers up when he goes to the free throw line every time. <laughs> you know, like it actually is like, oh, I think he might actually make both of these, which was not true before. Still not something I can say about Wiggins, but I digress. Um, last piece for trade deadline stuff. So it's behind us, but the Warriors' opportunities to add someone isn't totally done, right? There's going to be this buyout waiver market that's coming up. Now, it's more complicated now because of the new CBA. Um, in fact, the, the NBA released this quote, quote, the following teams are ineligible to sign a player waived and had a pre-existing salary of more than $12.4 million. Uh, and the first team on there is the Golden State Warriors. So there's some limits, okay? So here's some people they cannot get. Some people who may be available uh, from buyouts, but the Warriors cannot make a move on. Uh, Davis Bertrand, Spencer Dinwiddie, Marcus Morris, Joe Harris, Evan Fournier. Let me pause. Fournier always sounded like the French word for pornography to me. Um, and then finally, uh, oh no, that's uh, Kyle Lowry is the other guy on this list. But here's some people they can, all right? I'm going to give you three. I'll give you four. Tell me if any of them speak to you. Seth Curry, Danilo Gallinari, Killian Hayes, Robin Lopez. What do you boys think? Any of those names sound like someone you'd like to see join the Golden State Warriors. And to give it some context, after the Kojo move, the Warriors have a roster spot. The the probable, you know, as of right now, if everything went, just continued on, it'd be Lester Quinones's spot. They'd, they'd convert his two-way into an actual contract. So... Lester Quinones or Steph Curry, Gallinari, Killian Hayes, Robin Lopez. What do you guys think? I think you I think you convert Lester Quinones' deal. You convert that two-way into a standard contract. Look at the way he's guarded the ball the last couple of games. The Tyrese's, yeah. Maxie and Halliburton. He was fantastic. Yeah. He he gives him another ball handler. He can he can catch and shoot. He's he's shown that that he can knock down a three and he knows how to play with this group. He's not doing too much. He's not forcing anything. He's 23 years old. There's an extra gear of upside to tap into, and he's young. He's young, right? They're, this team has enough veterans. They have enough guys in their 30s. They have an, uh, enough experience <laughs> at this point, right? The, the youth, especially inexpensive youth, is what's going to help yeah. preserve, again, whatever chance the Warriors have of making some kind of run these next couple of years. So um, I, I think I, I think that – I mean, I, I would keep my eye out for that. Might that happen? We'll see. I, he, he certainly – you look at his playing time the last five games, it's going like this, up, 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 up. And, yep. and, and you look at what he's able to do, especially on the defensive end. Um, but let's see what happens with Lester Keones as, as, uh, as, as the buyout market develops. He's one of those irrational confidence guys, too. You can tell when he when he is he's legitimately thinking, I'm the best player on this floor. <laughs> like, you guys may not know it yet, but you will by the end of these next, like, three to four minutes. Um Sam, I was going to disagree with you. I was going to go Robin because I need size. Sure. But you know what What, what kind of talked me out of it is the idea of like this youth and um, insatiable energy. You know, there was moments last night uh, and you and I texted about Guy Santos where, you know, we've seen a lot from the Warriors positively during this road trip, but youthful energy is not one of those things we've been able to say too often. And, you know, and, and Quinones does bring that. So shit, I'm on board, um, which brings us to our final question. And maybe one I was the most excited for. So we're on the other side of this or not other side. We are right before the Super Bowl. 
Um, today is Friday. They are playing on Sunday. We won't do any Super Bowl prediction stuff, but the lead up to the Super Bowl, they've got to ask all these asinine questions because they have two <laughs> weeks to cover an event that's only going to be three hours. And so one of the asinine questions they asked Patrick Mahomes was, who would you be if you were in a different sport? And here's what he offered. If I played, bas- if I played basketball, I would just, I'd be just like Steph Curry. I mean, I got the shot. I, I just got to get a, you know, a couple extra reps, you know, a couple shots up, um, and I'd be shooting just like him. I mean, I mean, like yeah, that's who I would be. Okay. So a couple of things. One, props to uh, Mahomes. I, his voice has always entertained me. It does sound exactly like Kermit the Frog. Here's where the props come in. One of the questions they asked him was, can you give us your best Kermit the Frog impersonation? And he said, I'm doing it right now, which made me really like him. You know, like, like that's the kind of like self-aware shit that you can do after you've won multiple Super Bowls and everybody knows who the fuck you are. But, but props to him, okay? But back to the crossover. Sam, you've covered fucking football and basketball. Is there any goddamn chance that Patrick Mahomes could be Steph Curry if he joined the NBA? Well, he's a step. I mean, he might be the Steph Curry of the NFL, right? I mean, in the sense that we've never seen anybody like Steph Curry on yes. the basketball court. We've never seen anybody like Patrick Mahomes on the football field. So I, I get the response. I get the answer. He he's able to make things. He's able to do things that nobody else can do, right? Covering the AFC West, covering the Raiders for four years. Um, I had the opportunity to see Patrick Mahomes in person four yeah. times, and he's there's just like Curry makes you know three, four, five, sometimes ten plays a game that that just are like. You know, you, you look to the person next to you and you raise your eyebrows. Mahomes is the exact same way. Uh, and, and the way he plays, uh, the intangibles, the confidence, uh, the swagger, the humility, the way he all he marries all those traits, blends them together, and then breaks the opposing team's will every single game. Just when you think you, you play the perfect defense, he summons something. I, I see the comparison. I understand. So would he be Steph Curry if he played basketball? I don't know. But he's definitely – Steph Curry-esque. Uh, he's okay. definitely Steph Curry-esque on the football field. There's no question Sam, about that. I can see why Christina gave you that glowing quote I read at the beginning of this fucking episode. That was one of the most professionally handled answers I have ever seen. So, yes, um, fucking Mahomes is amazing at what he does. And you can make the yes, he is the Steph Curry of the NFL. But this question isn't about who's fucking Patrick Mahomes uh, is in the NFL. Uh, it's who the hell Steph Curry is in the NBA. There's the, I don't Patrick Mahomes could spend the rest of his life perfecting his shot. You know who he's not going to become? Steph Curry, get the fuck out of here. There's it's a 0% chance, dude. There's no goddamn way. And that, that has nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes. It just has to do with the generational, once-in-a-lifetime talent that Steph is. You know, that, um, to, to borrow the analogy that we were just making, Steph is in Let's say Steph is the Patrick Mahomes of the NBA. You know what he could not do? Go be a quarterback. quarterback. <laughs> you know, you die. Like, there's no way. You can't just transfer over, dude. So I say absolutely not. But it it, it um, goes to this final question. Maxime, take it first. Okay? Magic button question. You are in a room. There's a magic button. And when you press it, it will give you the skills to be the best person on earth in any sport you want. You can pick MMA, tennis, golf, NBA. You pick the sport, and you are now a god in that sport, all right? What sport are you picking? You're not gonna like this answer, Bram. Shocking. It's soccer, yeah, and, I, and I and I honestly I don't think there's any question. the The highest paid athlete in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, he's a soccer player. So uh, am I? Am I optimizing for wealth? Great, right? Am I optimizing for 
overall fitness. I mean, these dudes are running six, eight miles a game in amazing shape, capable of incredible feats, loved literally the world over. I mean, it's by far the most international sport. And then on top of it all, like you're not getting rocked like you are in football, for example, um, which would, I think, be a fun sport to be a god at. But the the chances, like I, I went to Cal and I was, you know, in the stadium uh, at the Oregon game when Javid Best got flattened in the end zone and like for sure changed the trajectory of not just his life i mean not just his career but his whole life you know Mm -hmm. um so no thank you on any of that right and then you occasionally see that on the basketball court when you're playing on hardwood too like things can go wrong so you know injuries happen in soccer but i think overall that's the best package for me and like yeah it would just be so sick to be able to have the skills with a soccer ball i'm gonna shock you i liked that answer only because only because you could have done that move where you said football referring to soccer. You know, it's like, uh, and then and then done the like, uh, but I'm not actually talking about American football. And then my fucking face would have exploded with frustration. So no, do I like that you pick soccer? No, but do I like that you called it soccer? Yeah, you know, I mean, at least at least we got a middle ground there. Um, we will make you the definitive answer, Sam. For me, it's almost a process of elimination. Yeah. So like, I I think the home run trot in baseball mm. would be incredible. It would feel mm. like being a superhero, you know, mm. as everyone just loses their mind and off you go, because it's one of the only times in sports when you are being celebrated and you can just receive the celebration, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, because you no longer have to, to make any athletic moves. Uh, the athletic prowess has already been shown, but the downside there is baseball is boring as shit. And so I can't do that. Um, a, <laughs> a, a, like a long touchdown run equally superhero-y, you know, and like the kind of adulation that you would feel in that end zone and like what that would mean, incredible, but I would die. I'm not making it, you know, past like two practices probably. I'm super injury prone, so can't do that, which leads to maybe golf, okay? I don't like golf, don't play it. But you, if you do play it, you can play till like you're 90, you know, and you are just pulling in money. You're never going to get hurt. You know, like you could just do that forever. So it's there for me, but ultimately it's hoop. Um, the idea of like, so in this fantasy, when I press that button, the thing I become really great at is I'm like an athletic uh, marvel, like JK's upside, you know, like in this thing, I'm shitting on people. I'm faster than people. I'm jumping higher than people. And in that thing, that is me being a superhero. I would love that. And if I get hurt, Unlike the NFL, I'm still getting paid. Um, so that's my choice just to complete it out. Would I pick soccer? No. Fuck you, Maxime, and soccer, which goes to Sam, dude. So what do you think, man? That's the full spectrum. Where are you at on this? Oh, man. I, I, I'd want to be the I'd want to be the number one powerful pound fighter in the world. I want to be, I I be the guess, number I one. I guess MMA. I, yeah, okay, uh, boxing, boxing or MMA? Yeah, yeah, boxing. Give us, yeah, yeah. boxing. I, I want to be the number one powerful pound fighter in the world. Guess Guess who 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 the boxers put on shows for? The best basketball players in the world, the best soccer players. They all pull up ringside to watch Terrence Crawford, Canelo Alvarez, Javante Davis, so on and so forth. So um, just, again, you know, going back to kind of the start of our conversation, the, the energy yeah. Yeah. Um, on fight night, what it must feel like to go out and put on a performance like Terrence Crawford did on this night, yeah. the night of July 29th, 2023, the best night of my professional career in Las Vegas, certainly the, the coolest event that I covered and the greatest performance I yeah. ever saw. Um, that it's 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 obviously just a just an incredible you know incredible feat, and to be able to do something like that on a consistent basis would be awesome. Now, 
the obviously the downside is you get punched in the face for a living, right? Like that would be the downside. So want to get in and get out and keep all my faculties intact. Like the great Floyd Mayweather was able to do get out of boxing, but he retired from boxing. Boxing didn't retire him. It's always about timing in terms of exiting, but the best boxer in the world at any given time is generally regarded, right? Like colloquially as the baddest man on the planet. What a cool title to have. So I, I would I would I would want that. I would want that for sure. Fuck yeah. And what it would feel like leaving like if you, you know if you win the fight and then exiting through that environment. You oh, know, yeah. and you're the only guy. It's not like a team sport. You know what I mean? Like that you everyone's going to recognize you immediately and you could play it kind of casually, you know, not not noticing that everyone's looking at you, but you'd know it and it would be fucking awesome. Um yeah, I'm I'm too much of a of a puss to take a punch to the face, but I can see it's upside for sure. And, and and just beyond that, right? From a from a the from a, an athletic perspective, the level of conditioning that that the that the the boxers go through and are at obviously all professional athletes want to be very clear. But I, I've always admired just just the intensity of a training camp and doing that over and over and over again. What peak physical condition professional fighters are in? You know, to be able to sustain the rushes and adrenaline, how fast your heart is beating throughout those twelve rounds, yeah. like. There's there is an element of athleticism that I think is inherent and singular to to combat sports, to boxing, to MMA, and so on and so forth. So I think that would be really really cool to kind of tap into that um, as well. <laughs> Sam, I look forward to this one. I've been uh, excited for it, and it was even better than I was hoping, man. And I am sure that I'm not alone in that thought. For people who need way more Sam Gordon in their life, where do they go? Uh, you can follow me at, at Twitter or. X now, I guess. I still call it Twitter. Can we call Twitter. it Twitter? Is yes, that okay? Yes, of course. Um, I don't, I've never met anyone who calls it fucking X. I'm not yeah, sure why yeah, they made that move. Twitter, right? Um, at Twitter, at by Sam Gordon, at B-Y-S-A-M-G-O-R-D-O-N. And then you can follow all of our coverage um, at the San Francisco Chronicle on San Francisco Chronicle's website. We have great stuff, not, you know, with the Super Bowl coming up. Um, we have a, pretty much our whole staff, our whole sports team down there in Vegas um having the time of their lives covering the super bowl I, you know i'm i'm following i'm living vicariously through them right now you know i had great, great times there and you know very uh envious in, in the friendliest of ways that they're going to be enjoying yeah. the friendly confines of allegiance stadium for for an awesome game so yeah san francisco chronicle to, to read all my work and, and twitter for my you know for my insights and analysis on the warriors so thank you guys for having me this was a blast Come on, man. This is one of hopefully many times. In fact, we're going to have you on enough times where you'll feel comfortable enough at some point to tell us, yeah, fuck those guys who went to Vegas and didn't let me come on the sports page. That's some bullshit. We really embrace pettiness on this show. Uh, for us, if you want to check us out on social media, look out Warriors Huddle. We are everywhere. You want to support us on Patreon? can't tell you how much I would appreciate that. And if you want to get us a question to answer, an opinion, a critique, anything, you can shoot us an email to huddle at warriorshuddle.com. That in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, see you real soon. Good, good.